Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to Invoking Witchcraft Podcast. I am your co-host, Jay Allen Cross, also known as at Oregon Woodwitch on Instagram. And I am here with Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on the Instagrams. And we are here to talk to you about all things witchcraft per usual. But before we get started, we're going to take a little trek into spirituality because... Britain has uh, has been branching out a little bit. And I, I think that's really interesting to talk about um, how our spirituality evolves as our life events evolve. Can you tell people where you've been going lately? So it's really new. And I don't know if I have all the adequate words to describe it yet. But You know, last week I got really personal and shared that I'm doing a 12-step program and I've joined AA. And within AA, we say our father who art in heaven, etc. And, you know, as a witch and as a person who separated from Christianity in my 20s, coming back to this has been a little uncomfortable for me. (laughs) But I'm trying it on. And... Thus far, it has been, it's been uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's been deeply comforting. Mm -hmm. And I had an experience recently where I kept seeing rosaries everywhere, like on the internet, a friend actually who had gifted me a rosary years ago. um, I have it hanging in my kitchen. I never noticed it, but for whatever reason, one day it just like really popped out to me. I was like, "I, I have a rosary in my house made of olive wood it's very beautiful oh wow and then um i kind of had this like vision of a rose quartz rosary in my head and i had been going to etsy and like looking around and looking at rosaries and i was and i would see the crosses and i would start to feel uncomfortable and i'd be like (laughs) what what is this attraction and then a friend of mine who has been having she had like a really intense vision of Christ and, and Mary. Um, She's uh, been ill with long COVID. So long COVID is where, um, you know, you get COVID and then you have symptoms for months months, up to a year. And she's been going through this harrowing, like life and death process. And anyway, so she's, she's a witch and she's been like incorporating Christianity into her practice. And she just reached out to me randomly. She's like, Hey, I'm going to make myself a rosary and I want to make you a rose quartz rosary. <laughs> I was like, what is even happening? <laughs> <laughs> that is so perfect. Cause like not mm-hmm. only is like rose quartz such like deep heart healing, which I think is so important when you're entering something like a 12 step program and you're unpacking so much stuff there, this, this intense, like emotional healing, but also I I want you so badly to read um, a book called the way of the rose. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Y'all cannot see me, but I'm just over here <laughs> waving my arms like crazy. Um, I went, she has recommended the way of the rose, but I was like on Google and I was like, okay, how do I pray the rosary? I know nothing about this and landed on way of the rose. 
And the, the, the way that they have, if you go to their website, Way of the Rose, they'll tell you how to pray the rosary. Mm-hmm. The shape that they have the rosary and the design of it has such an occult like design to it. And in the center of it is this rose with thorns. And I was immediate. I work with Babylon and I was like, this is fucking Babylon. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's so many things because like, if you look, if you just hold up a rosary, it makes the symbol for Venus and like the the feminine in itself. And it's also like the symbol that's an Ankh in like Egyptian um, work and things like that. So there's so much in the rosary that even if you're not particularly Christian, it's a way to connect with the divine and especially with like the, the divine elements that we consider to be feminine too, um, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting. I know my mind is being blown and I feel the description of how I feel going through this whole process is I feel like a foal, a foal Mm -hmm. is a baby, a baby horse. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm just straight out of the womb struggling to find my legs and I'm all (laughs) sticky and wet and (laughs) just like what's happening. It's just, it's been a really wild ride so far and it's just going to get even more wild, but there's been a very deep comfort in this journey for me uh, thus far. Yeah. I can't wait to see where it takes you. And I understand kind of the uncomfortableness of coming back to anything that sort of feels like Christianity. And I always remember um, Nadia Bowles Weber is one of my most favorite authors. And she talks about um, going through the program and at first being very kind of anti this idea of God. And one of um, the people she's talking to who is just chain smoking cigarettes and has just like this long ass cherry at the end, just kind of looks at her and goes like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the Christian's idea of God. You just have to find a God that you can do business with. Right. And it's like, you know, I, I always think it's so funny when people try to minimize God to simply the version of God that's in the Bible, because God is always going to be way too big to put in any sort of box, let mm-hmm. alone into a book or a story or anything like that. So it's way more complicated. And, and I think it's it's interesting what happens when people kind of remove the religion part of it and then simply just try to connect with the divine and see what happens. And mm-hmm. I think really neat stuff goes on. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's God as they re- reveal themselves to you. Ooh, I like that. Is that like a actual like saying from AA or did you come up with that? I don't think I came up with it. I think it's just an amalgamation of all the AA stuff I've been processing lately because they they refer to god uh with masculine pronouns um mm-hmm. but they also just say your higher power as mm-hmm. they show up you know what i mean yeah um i think it would be really cool for there to be and maybe this exists already i have no idea because i'm new to this but like a non-binary aa book where they replace he mm-hmm. with they mm-hmm. and kind of make it more open in that way because I mean, I've heard all kinds of crazy stories where people had their higher power was a stop sign. (laughs) Oh, you never know how it's going to show up. I mean, to Moses, it was a bush that was on fire. Like, right. It shows up wherever it needs to show up. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime people get really intense about the binary of God being masculine, I'm always like pointing to the very first page of the Bible in Genesis. God refers to itself in plural and as both masculine and feminine. 
And I'm like, I'm like, clearly something is going on here. I think that more points to God being trans, but no one is ready for that conversation. Oh, no, they are not. (laughs) Gender fluidity in the divine is interesting. Yes, it's fascinating. Yes. These uh, are wonderful, uncomfortable, maybe even taboo subjects that we have here. Very taboo, which not so subtly brings us to today's topic of magical taboos which i think mm-hmm. is uh an interesting thing because we've all we've all heard these before things like uh you can't buy your first tarot deck you know never buy your first tarot deck because what well nobody knows but you're not supposed to right? do it people i know what happens <laughs> like i'm like i'm like nobody has burst into flames i mean spontaneous human combustion has been on the decline for a long time now so it's, um, yeah, I, I, we're going to talk about some common magical taboos such as that. And um, we're going to talk about whether or not we feel there's merit for them. If there's times where we do agree or if we completely disagree, um, we're going to debunk some. We're going to see if there are exceptions to a few of these and then uh, figure out what, uh, what is going on. And the thing that always gets me about magical taboos is I always see them online. I'll see someone in the same breath be like, there are no rules in magic, and then turn around and yell at somebody for blowing out their altar candles. Right. (laughs) So I think that should be the first one. The first magical taboo that we are tackling here today is blowing out your spell candles. Is is it awful? Does is your spell doomed the moment you do it? What is your experience or uh, thoughts on this, Britain? You know, I was taught to pinch my candles out, mm-hmm. so I just lick my fingers and give it a little pinch, and that's how I was taught. And I was told that when you blow on your candle, you are you're blowing your magic out, like you're kind of like canceling it. Mm-hmm. So that's been my practice, you know. I don't know. I feel kind of flexible on it. Like, say you reflexively blow your candle out. I don't necessarily think anything bad is going to happen or if it's just going to, like, flatten your spell and it's donezo. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that one? Because this is one that is, yeah, is, like, lots of information on Instagram and social media. Don't blow Mm -hmm. your candles out, etc. It's a really popular uh, taboo. Yeah, so I've, I've heard of this one described a few different ways that, you know, if you blow out the candle, then you are offending the element of fire by using the element of air against it. Um, I've heard that one. I've also heard that if you blow out your candle, then you're blowing your spell like out or just like completely obliterating your spell with your breath, um, all kinds of stuff. And personally, in my practice, I do I do mainly smother or pinch them out simply because I I find it to be witchier. I right. <laughs> I kind of like I kind of like the wick pinching thing because it's more like hardcore. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I am as a person a little bit superstitious, but in all honesty, I don't think it's a problem. If 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 you blow out your candle, I don't think anything will happen. And let's face it, if your spell is going to be obliterated by a puff of air, <laughs> then you have more problems going on. You need to fix your weak ass spell and right. then, and, and then come and recalibrate. But if it's something that you do, I, I do it more to kind of like honor, 
honor the, the 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 superstition, kind of like honor the the way that we all kind of handle this a little bit. So right. I, I like that that way of going about it with the smothering, just because it makes me feel maybe more connected with the larger community or whatnot. But yeah. I don't think anything bad will happen if you blow them out. I think it's interesting the like insulting the element of fire by blowing it out. I think that's kind of an interesting thing to look at. I watched Mm. this documentary um, many, many years ago. So my memory is a little spotty about it, but there was this, this gentleman traveling through Mongolia and spending time with the nomadic folks there. They were all sitting around this, this campfire and he kicked with his foot, one of the logs and all the uh, indigenous folks of the area, like who were there with him, flipped out. They were like, oh, no, 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 no. You just insulted the fire. Now you have to pay respect and offer something back to the fire and say an apology. So I think that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think perhaps like in my mind, like this may sound a little weird, when I'm burning candles, I kind of forget I'm working with the element of fire. Hmm. Is that weird? Not necessarily. Hmm. What? What? In in your mind, what are you working with? Is it more like working with light, or or? I'm working with the candle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, like what I'm focused on is like it's the candle. I kind of, I guess, as in my absent my yeah, as like my absent-mindedness, I kind of forget that I'm I am literally working with fire. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting, like respecting the element of fire. And, you know, what if we or like if you were to blow out your candle spell, what if it was done with a prayer on your mm-hmm. breath? Yeah, I think that would be neat. I, I think that would be totally fine because it's all about kind of like reverence. And we're going to talk about a few things later on about like um, throwing things in the trash too. I mean, I think there's a difference between being like, thank you so much for like everything that you've done for me. Like we're done now. We're parting ways versus just like slam dunking it into the trash bin. <laughs> like there, There's there's kind of a, a way to, to kind of go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. And I think it's interesting that you don't necessarily think about it as working with the fire element. Someone once told me that um, candles are how people keep fire as pets. And oh, I think that's so cute. And I love it so much. <laughs> it makes me think of the little, uh, do you remember nano pets? Yeah, like like the Tamagotchis or like the Gigapets yeah, and things like that. the little yeah. pocket pets. <laughs> oh, God, I killed so many of those. I was right? just a, yeah. That just might uh, date us in our age. A little bit. Just a tiny bit. Kids these days are like, what? You mean like Neopets? And I'm like, no. But also that one too. Right. Neopets were great. Oh, God. All right. So blowing out candles. You probably won't die if you do it. But let's be respectful about it is kind of our our sum up there. Now, Mm -hmm. another one that I got. Oh, and I want to thank you guys too. Because a lot of these that we are going over are things that um, were responses from a post that I did on our Instagram page. So if you aren't following us on Instagram, we are at invoking witchcraft and we'll do listener questions there. Um, That's where I gather a lot of them and get um, a lot of information from you guys to see the things that you guys have heard as taboo. So a lot of these are um, listeners who have thrown in theirs, the things that they've been told never to do or things that are, um, things that are taboos. This next one comes from actually a friend of mine named Mary. Um, She was always told never to use Ouija boards in 
uh, in your occult practice or, or ever in general. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever used a Ouija board? I have not because not? I grew up in a super Christian household and they were like, don't you dare touch that Ouija board. Would you do it? You know, I would do it. I mean, after we, we did just release the episode of you selling your soul to the devil. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> right? I know I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll sell my soul to the devil. But a Ouija board? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I've just never really had an an interest. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like hasn't really crossed my mind. But um, I would, you know, now maybe it's piqued my interest just a little bit. Uh, maybe I would try it. To, to see who uh, who I can chat with, but definitely perhaps doing a little protection work right. before I engage with the Ouija board because, um, gosh, what company is it that sells Ouija boards? They're like a major game board company, right? Like Fisher Price or Mattel or something like that. It's <laughs> Fisher yeah. Price. Yeah, it's seriously, I think on the box it says something like ages eight and up. Like, <laughs> yeah, Ouija board. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've never used one. Um, They seem interesting. Um, They seem a little scary. But what about you? Um, I have not used one. Um, But I've done a lot of work surrounding them. I know a lot of people who use them. And um, I've also done a lot of cleaning up of the after effects of people using them as well in my paranormal work. Cause you, you walk into a house and you're like, okay, so what did the haunting start? And people are like, Oh, we don't know. It just, it just started. And then I walk through the house and I find a spirit and I'm like, so why are you here? And they're like, I was invited. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, like they told me I could be here. So then I go back to the family and I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you again, when did this start up? And then they all kind of look at each other. One of them kind of goes, well, you see what had happened was um, there was this Ouija board and I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. Um, I don't think that they're demon magnets. I don't think, and, and a lot of people say like, oh, well, you know, a Ouija board isn't any different than like tarot cards or a pendulum or anything like that. And I do agree to some extent. However, it's not necessarily the board itself that's dangerous. It's it's the method of use because when, and kind of the culture that surrounds it as well. Because a lot of the people who are doing things like tarot cards or pendulums or things like that often at least have a little bit of an interest in kind of the the wider um, spiritual world and therefore kind of tend to be a little bit more knowledgeable about things like protection and whatnot. Whereas um, Ouija boards tend to be brought out at slumber parties with kids or um, at, you know, a Halloween party where everyone's drunk or whatever. And so the actual method of use of a Ouija board um, is what concerns me. Because first of all, there's a lot of um, excitement and a lot of fear surrounding Mm -hmm. them. And that kind of fear energy, even if it's just like that one girl in the corner at the slumber party who just like went to the wrong party on the wrong night and does not want to be there during this, like that fear (laughs) coming from that person is going to attract things that feed on fear and things that feed on fear don't tend to be very friendly. Right. Um, And then you also have things like the method of questioning things like, is there anything here that wants to speak with us. Well, that's a very wide net to cast and that's a big invitation. And so we make a lot of agreements with unknown spirits very quickly. Is there anything here that wants to communicate with us? Great. That's an agreement that they can communicate. And then when it comes to moving the pointer, you ask people, people are either in two different camps on how the Ouija board works. Some people say that the spirit moves the pointer. Other people say that the spirit influences the people there to move the pointer. Which if you're in the second camp and you're asking it to move the pointer, asking it to move the pointer at all is giving it permission to 
move things, it, it, like physically move things in the room, or if you if you understand and believe that the movement of the pointer is through spirit influence on a person, or like sort of like automatic writing, then you are giving the spirit also permission to perform a partial possession. So it's yes. a lot of very quick, very rapid agreements that you make with an unknown spirit. Right. So it's, it's not the board. It's kind of the method of action that is concerning and kind of the culture and how they tend to be used. Yeah. I was like, as you were describing all of that, I was like, okay, we're starting to veer into possession territory. A little bit, right? <laughs> and that's why little... I think so many of those those stories overlap, like possession stories and Ouija boards. Um, and then we get into things too, like, um, you know, people be like, oh, like, don't use these unless you know how, like, to do it properly. Well, a lot of people, I think the vast majority of people I've talked to think that they know how to do it properly. Like they're the only ones. And then when you actually talk with them, they actually have no idea what they're doing. But people like to think that they do. And I think kind of that that hubris is, is another reason why it's dangerous is because people are like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. But they, mm-hmm. they don't, um, which mm-hmm. is a I've concern. S- I've seen some very beautiful handmade Ouija boards. Um, oh, they're that so have, cool. They're gorgeous. Um, I've, yeah, this kind of is piquing my interest a little bit. I'm like, hmm, hmm. I definitely think that they can be used, um, safely. Absolutely. I think it just, it's, it's how you go about it. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Laying down some protection and then perhaps a little bit of like clearing incense of being like, okay, we're done here. Yep. You may go. Yep. Yeah, that might be wise. 100%. But yeah, I wouldn't say they're like evil. No, definitely not. It's just one of those things that it's like, you know, this this can go downhill real quick if we don't know what's going Mm -hmm. on. So if you're going to use a Ouija board, make sure, of course, you're protected. Make sure you have all your ducks in a row and definitely do it with people um, who who know what they're doing. Um, Right. Don't just do it with a bunch of randos. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So are we ready to move on to number three? Yes. So having pictures of living folks on your ancestor altar, yay or nay? It depends on who you ask and it depends on their, their traditions and the culture, I feel. Because sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's, it's not. I tend to not put pictures of the living on the ancestor altar because it's, it's believed in many cultures that once you do that, you bring them um, a speedy death by placing them among the ancestors. Um, But also at the same time, I feel like there are always sort of exceptions to these taboos. So like um, for instance, if I had a family member that was very sick and needed healing, I might place a picture of them on the ancestor altar and ask them for healing for that mm-hmm. person, um, not necessarily placing them there permanently among the ancestors, but just kind of like using an image of them, like, hey, this person needs help. Can you help them? And then maybe like covering that picture with some healing herbs or like burning a candle near it or something like that, just to give them the signal of what it is that I'm asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would make sense to, to do that. But just to randomly place a, a person who's still alive on the ancestor altar, I, I tend to not do that so much. Right. Same. I don't mm-hmm. put living folks on my ancestor altar. Um, mm-hmm. It's just those who have are deceased and have passed on on my ancestor altar. But I do agree 
um, that's kind of where my train of thought was going was like, if somebody is very ill, calling in the ancestors, especially if a family member is ill, calling in the ancestors to help support and heal them. One thing that I learned was to take, if you have your photo in a picture frame, take it out and then sprinkle herbs on the, in the backing of it. And so that way you have herbs pressed inside behind their photo. Oh. So they're like right next to it. Oh. Or like putting a bay leaf or something like that mm-hmm. in there. I like that. Or maybe like a pressed flower or something. That would be gorgeous. I love that. I have never heard of that before. Yeah. yeah Make sure so you do I... dried ones though, or else your picture's going to get real gross. <laughs> right. Yeah. A little moldy. You don't want, you don't a want that. A little moldy. But yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. So then that branches out to having ancestor altars in the bedroom. They're going to, you know, Nana's watching you do the dirty. I'm pretty sure my mama does not want to see what I've been getting up to in my bed. (laughs) (laughs) That fitty shades of Britain over there. Just nasty. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm not putting ancestor altars in my bedroom. Mm -mm. Nah. No, 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 thanks. I, um, yeah, I like to I like to avoid that when I can, uh, though, of course, some people, uh, a lot of people message me all the time. They're like, you know, I live in a studio apartment. I don't have a bedroom apart from that. And so when when that happens, I usually throw up um, a few different um, a, a, a few different possibilities for that. So you can get like a like a room divider, like one of those screens that people used to change behind in the old days when we were all modest and stuff. But um you can get one of those um, if you want to kind of create um, a barrier between kind of where your ancestor space is and the rest of your room is. Um, and also, too, um, you can take like a, a sheet and put it over the ancestor altar during during those times where you're either going to um, be naked or be knocking them boots or, or whatever it is you're going to be doing in front of the ancestor altar. That's a great way to go. If you're going with the second one, definitely make sure that all of your candles are out and cool as well as your incense before you put a sheet over it and, you know, just light it on fire because that's right. not a good thing either. Um, and apart from kind of like the nudity and the sexuals and stuff like that in the bedroom, um, a, a lot of times, and it depends on your, your family dynamic. Um, a lot of people will have trouble sleeping with their Mm. ancestor altars in there because bitches will be chatty sometimes. Right. And (laughs) it can be hard to, to sleep when they're constantly trying to tell you something or, or tell you a story or make contact with you. Time is, is not the same on their side. So it's a little bit like having a friend in, you know, Hawaii or whatever. And it's like midnight your time. And it's like nine their time. And they're like calling you and you're like, no. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have like a personal altar, like a love altar or like personal power altar in my bedroom or, you know, a dream altar by my bedside, something like that. But definitely, oh, yeah, a dream altar by the bedside is where it's at. I've never thought about having a dream altar. What? I have something to do this weekend now. Oh. You know what I love is there's um, these statues you can get of St. Joseph, um, mm-hmm. like Mary's husband, where he's sleeping. Because there's all these stories of him having having dreams that, that saved them. Um, actually, a lot of Josephs in the Bible there. There's a couple of them um, who were really intense in dream work. So you can find um, pictures of St. Joseph asleep to help you with, with dream magic. 
Mm. Um, which I think is really interesting. And I've always kind of wanted one and now I have a place to put it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I like to place a little bowl of water and um, add some marshmallow root as well, because marshmallow root helps attract good spirits and whatnot. And like, I guess when it comes to connecting ancestors to the bedroom space, and if you do have a dream altar, I think it's okay to invite your ancestors into your dreams. So sometimes I'll write a petition or, you know, words on a piece of paper inviting my ancestors into my dreams to, to mm-hmm. chat with me and communicate. Um, and maybe I wouldn't be knocking boots during that time. <laughs> maybe not during that time in particular. We're going to we're gonna leave the boot knocking to another time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not tonight, babe. Not tonight. The ancestors are here. All right. So moving on, this is one that I actually got from TikTok that I see it all the time. And we all know TikTok is a dumpster fire, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's look at this a little bit. So there is like right now we're in this whole climate of, of understanding cultural appropriation and things like that and not kind of taking what doesn't belong to us. Um, but it's gotten to a level where when I post about things like, oh, these are books that I love on Mexican magic. Um, a lot of suddenly people start posting like no one that's not Mexican should buy these because if you buy these, then the spirits will get you. Or like, um, I've even had people come to me who are like, I'm 100% Mexican. I grew up in Mexico and then I moved to the United States and I'm told that because I have light skin, that if I try to practice Mexican magic, then the spirits will attack me because I, quote, look like a colonizer. And I find this hilarious that people think that the spirits on the other side, number one, can't tell their own descendants from other folks and are also racially profiling everybody. Oh, my gosh. So this idea that the spirits are racially profiling everybody needs to be unpacked a little bit. So, like, I understand what they're trying to do here as far as protecting their cultural magics and things like that from, from outside. But the thing that the spirits have a problem with is, is disrespect, not with your racial ethnicity. Um, And so when we go to like, say, say there's a white person who wants to go and do something like voodoo, you know, um, number one, I would definitely recommend that that person thinks why, they are going to be doing this and to have a very good reason for doing that. Um, But I I do know people who have joined voodoo houses who are not um, African-American, that that they are Mm -hmm. um, white people and they've been very successful with it. However, these people who have gone and done that have also followed the procedure and their traditions and everything that they need to do. They've done it right from the beginning to where they are now. They've done the initiations and the trainings and the divinations that they need to do in order to be there. So if if you are respecting the tradition and following the tradition and not being buckwild or trying to be the face of the tradition or anything like that, I, I, I don't often see the spirits having trouble with it. Um, I think it's when you just kind of show up and start, you know, putting your feet up on everything and, and like making a big show of it and, and, and the disrespect or, or disregard for the tradition, I think is where we, we run into a lot of trouble. And that's something that happens when people join 
the magic of other traditions because they don't realize why the, the things that they do are so important, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah, you raised some really great points there. So, so that's one that's always kind of been odd to me. I'm like, I'm like, wait, I'm like, I'm like, it's it's less about the racial profiling of everybody who's involved, and more about the the actual um, doing it correctly part, which I right, think is the respect, mm-hmm. and yeah, and not disrespecting and following protocols. I honestly, I like dipped my toes into TikTok and then was like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> so this has not been on my radar. But yeah, that's no. really unfortunate that folks are are being told they can't participate in their own ancestral traditions. Right. Because they just came out Blanquita for some reason. <laughs> like right. it's no. Yeah. That always mm. concerns me. I'm like, no, let people be part of their own like traditions when we go forth with this. Even if right. they are light skinned or whatever it is, you know, that's still part of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so on to something a little less heavy. We have uh, one that I hear a whole lot that concerns me is once an item has been used for a magical purpose, it must never be used for anything else ever again. Uh, Once you use that knife for a spell, it is now your spell knife and it cannot be used to cut a brick of cheese or else, or else... Or else, what? Spontaneous combustion? Spontaneous human combustion. We all die. How how do you feel about this one? Well, this is a folk magic podcast. (laughs) That is true. We should should start with that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I use my Leatherman for magic, which is like a folding knife with tools and everything on it. I use that for magic and for practical things. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really differentiate between... I really love to blur the lines between the magical and the mundane mundane, Mm -hmm. because to me, all of life is magical. Uh, So, you know, I do have tools and certain things set aside for like specific magical purposes, but for the most part, I really love for my tools to be all purpose. So yeah, I'm going to use a butter knife for my butter, but -hmm. also I might, might use it in a spell. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Absolutely. No, I mm-hmm. agree. And I, I think, I think part of this is kind of, there, there's, an, there, there's kind of a, a money spending element to this. Well, you can't just use any knife. It has to be a special knife. You have to go out and buy one just for this purpose and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that really keeps a lot of people out of this work because they simply can't afford to buy a new knife for every like thing that they're doing. Um there are some exceptions that I that I do make as far as like if I'm using a a water glass in a spell to absorb and trap negative energy, I, I then am probably not going to want to drink out of it simply because it's it's has been absorbing and and holding negative energy. Um, I, I do think that you know you might be able to go through and cleanse it, do things like that. But if it's something that you're using routinely for that, or something that you do a lot, I find it's nice just to kind of like set that one glass you've already used aside for that, so that you don't have to kind of um, contaminate your other things. As far as as that's concerned, um, Erica Buenaflor, who's a curandera, um, tells the story about she does something called a, a white fire limpia, which is um, you basically light salt on fire to clear out negative energy and it just sucks up all the negative energy and chews on it and stuff. And she um, does it in, in like a, like a pot, like a cooking pot. 
Mm-hmm. And she had a student of hers that that had been doing that, but then hadn't set the 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 pot aside, like as like a special pot. She just kind of like kept it with her other ones. Well, her husband came home and just like made a big old like pot of spaghetti and like sat down and ate it. And <laughs> Erica said that she gets this call that that this this person's husband is just like raging and throwing things in the home and she's like she's like he ate from the pot what do i do like like, first of all you're gonna set that pot aside in like a special closet or whatever with all your tools um so like when it comes to like you know things that are are used for for trapping or absorbing negativity um i definitely do kind of set those aside but other things like i mean you know if if i'm making holy water or something like that i get a bowl out of the cupboard Put some mm-hmm. water in it, put some salt in it, say the prayers, put it in a bottle, put the bowl back in my cupboard. Well, I mean, you know, I wash it, but you know, like <laughs> it's it's not it it's not anything important like that. Right. Yeah, I think it's all up to the practitioner. Cause like as we're discussing this, I'm kind of like thinking in my mind, what are some of the things that I use specifically for magic? And then what are the ones that are like all purpose? Like mm-hmm. I have a very specific glass. Mm-hmm. that I use for water for my ancestors mm-hmm. um, and I don't drink out of it. Mm-hmm. So things like that. And I think it's just kind of up to the practitioner, but you raise a really good point that makes me think of like what capitalism has taught us that we need, mm-hmm. we need to have that one item for that one thing and we must mm-hmm. buy, buy, buy. And when I think about our ancestors going way back, you know, they would have used what they had out of need Mm-hmm. It would yeah. have gone down to the village market and would have been like, oh, yeah, I need the fancy knife. Yeah, because you know, no. they probably couldn't have afforded it. Absolutely. And I talk right? about that a lot where it's like your ancestors didn't have a bunch of excess materials to set aside. Right. Like, you know, they were using that knife to banish, you know, whatever Betsy next door and then putting it back into the drawer when they were done. Mm hmm. Um, mm hmm. Which I think is important because you you may have only had one knife at that point, so right, like that's that's important. Um, and I do sometimes like to keep something separate just because I find that the more I use something for magic, the more kind of energy it, it builds inside of it. Mm-hmm. Like, so I have special scissors that I keep for like my spell work, but also if I turn around and use that scissor to cut a piece of paper, I don't think that all the magic vanishes. You know, <laughs> like right, it's just yeah, mm-hmm. be there. At your discretion. All right, we have a few more. And oh, and also too, on that note, if if your tradition dictates that you do need special items or whatever, that's totally fine. You should always follow your your tradition. Um, But just from our perspective, it's it's not too big of a deal for most things, at least from from our folk magic perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is one of the next one is one of my favorites. You want to read it for us? Yeah. Always cast a circle when casting spells and never break it. Do you always cast a circle? I rarely cast a circle, actually. Same. Um, I have personal protection things that I do. um, And I do understand the merits of a circle. So in some circumstances, I will. um, Because I I do think that there is is purpose behind it. And I I do think that there is um, uh, definitely some things to be gained from casting a circle. I personally rarely have the time. And also, let me tell you, I have the bladder of a squirrel. It is <laughs> approximately 
holds like this, this much. It's just, no. So to be confined into a space that you cannot leave for me is not going to work. Plus I always forget something. Yes. I always have to leave the circle to go get something I forgot. And that's just how I do my magic. I've always tried to be better about that and not forget everything. Nope. I always do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just, no, it's not possible for me. Yeah, I think that's another thing, kind of like we were talking about uh, tools and their magical purposes. Like, that's up to the discretion of the practitioner. Mm. In in folk magic, I don't encounter a lot of folks that cast circles. Um, it feels a little more in the realm of, like, ceremonial high magic. Mm. And things like Wicca. And- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, there are instances when um, I feel it is appropriate to cast a circle. Like, if... For me, like if I'm really wanting to concentrate power and launch a spell off with like a bang, I will cast a circle to like Mm -hmm. hold in that energy in the bubble Mm -hmm. and like have that cone of power and connection from the earth into the heavenly realm. Absolutely. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good way to kind of contain the power and um, it also to kind of creates that sacred space to work to work your magic in and a lot of times too people don't realize that you can kind of get your your circle that you cast once it's cast to then spin like a certain direction and then and then we get into like things like mill treading and whatnot after that but um Mm -hmm. but yeah so circles do do have a lot of things that they can add but um to say that you should never ever cast a spell without a circle um, I, I don't think is, is correct or, or necessary. Um, but right. you know, if you do like them, absolutely you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really enjoy circle casting for creating magical products mm-hmm. or items. Like if I'm blending an oil, I really love creating like a liminal space, like an other space. Oh, yeah, that's something that I've been exploring recently and some blends that I've been making. And I, I find that it's quite effective. Interesting. I do like that. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I'll have to give that a try. Yeah, but then, you know, you got to make sure you don't forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, of course. Right. God, yeah, no, I can't. Yeah, I'm, not, you, I'm not good at that. <laughs> got to make sure you gather all your supplies, have a checklist. And see, that's like why I don't really like ca- casting circles is because like, yeah, I'll forget something or um, I need to run out and grab something. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm just like, this is way too much of a hassle. You know, I was always told too that like you can use like your your athame or whatever you however you say it to like cut like the the circle open so that you can leave and then come back um but then you got a big old hole in your circle <laughs> right and then how do you stitch it back up very carefully very carefully so another one that i got was um that your altar shouldn't be facing blank direction because I've heard this about like basically every direction. Um, the, the one that, that comes up the most, I guess is, is the West. You're not supposed to paint, point it towards the West. Do, do you know what direction your altar points? Well, it's funny you ask because I'm sitting at one of my altars right now and my altar is facing East. And I, you know, like as an Aries person, Aries being the beginning of the Zodiac, Um, I associate Aries with the rising of the sun. Mm. Um, I'm a morning person as well. So when I sit at my altar, 
I like to to wake up with that rising energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually where I face my altar. My other altar is facing south. But, you know, the other thing, too, that has to, I think, be taken into consideration here is, like, your space, your spatial, like, mm-hmm. considerations. Like, not everyone will be able to place their altar at XYZ direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it should be limiting, but like you practice feng shui. I do. Well, very minimally, but yes, I do. Oh, okay. For me, I have not a sense of direction at all in my entire being. My mother has the most like wicked sense of direction. She always knows no matter where she is, she can just drop out of a plane into a completely new state and know where North is, South is, where East and West are, all that stuff. I do not know how she does it because I never know what direction I'm facing. I'm sitting on my altar right now and I don't know which direction it's facing. I just, yeah, not a clue. Um, so I, I have never, um, I, I've, I've, I've never adhered to it pointing a certain direction. Um, mm-hmm. And then too, we get into questions like, okay, well then what, which direction is technically the direction of your altar? Is it because when you're facing your altar, your statues and everything like that are pointing back at you and you're pointing which direction. So is it the direction that you're standing and facing or is it the direction that they are looking from their position? Right. Because I was just thinking that I'm like, okay, I'm facing East, but all of my altar items are facing West. Right. So So... exactly. I just, I just (laughs) think it all just comes out in the wash. I've, I've never adhered to certain directional things so i and and it's it's been fine i have not been dragged to hell yet but the day is young so the day is young yeah so set your i don't know set your altar up wherever you want wherever you have space for it just just put it wherever it seems happy that's what i like to do i like to put it wherever it's gonna seem happy Mm -hmm. and wherever it feels good Mm -hmm. yeah maybe even ask spirit like yo spirit where should i where should i put this altar yeah, where it would be a good thing? place. And then yeah. also like taking into consideration um perhaps traditions um mm-hmm. you know have have directions that are more important or taboo mm-hmm. than others like a friend of mine just shared with me recently they're Korean um and they were saying I hope I'm getting this correct that to dream well you want your head facing north. Mm. Mhm. Interesting. Yeah, to receive good dreams. And I was like, well, shit, my head's facing south. So <laughs> <laughs> is that what's been going on? <laughs> That's yeah. I love that. All right. Yeah. Well, we have a few more here. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a good one. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into this one a little bit. Um, never let sunlight hit your moon water. What are your feelings on this? I'm going to have to agree. But. There's always a but. What kind of moon water are we talking about here? Are we talking uh-huh. about full full moon water? Are we talking about new moon, dark moon water? Oh. Uh-huh. To me, this is my personal opinion. The moon is more. L- l- the lunar power is stronger to me around the dark moon and new moon, because that is the moon unilluminated by the sun. And then when the moon is full, 
the reason we see it is because it is illuminated by the sun. Mm. So to me, there's a solar aspect of, of energy with the full moon. That's just me. Oh. So it's just like if you have full moon water, like the sun's obviously a part of that. Interesting. So could it be touched by the sun? But, you know, I've, I've read a lot that says, you know, if you have a lunar object or lunar water or something that is lunar to um, not let it hang out in the sun. So it's like, mm. you know, let's say you have moonstone. I'm not a crystal person. Um, mm-hmm. Although, actually, I take that back because I have kind of been getting into crystals lately. <laughs> who are you? I know. Who Rosaries am I? Crystals. <laughs> I know. I'm just going to be a light worker downloading 3G or however it goes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you have a moonstone, you probably don't want to have it in your sunniest window absorbing all mm. that sun energy because it is a rather lunar and associated with lunar the moon. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i feel about that if i made moon water i would not let the sun touch it yeah and i you know i also feel that way um okay maybe i'm a lazy witch i am a little bit of a lazy witch i have um some this is kind of going off on a tangent i have some devil's club roots that i harvested um a couple of uh autumns ago And Devil's Club really grows in shade. They're not a very solar plant. And, you know, the roots are underneath the ground. I harvested it on the new moon. And I've been thinking about their potency and, like, the spirit of Devil's Club residing still in those uh, roots branches that Mm -hmm. I have. Mm -hmm. And those root branches are sitting on the dashboard of my truck, which gets tons of sun. And I was driving along one day. Yeah, I was driving along one day and I was like, huh, yep spirit left the devil's the devil club just bounced out because it's been sitting in the sun for so long so interesting i think about those things um what are your thoughts on this okay so i'm gonna go to the moon in just a second but on that note that you're talking about so i i did once have an experience where i i got um a bunch of rocks from like the beach and this is the oregon beach which is very cold very salty um kind of an area and I took them home and I'm like, well, I'm going to clean these. So I'm going to take them into the bathtub with me, which is like hot, like not salty water. And I put them in and I immediately felt like them being like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. because they were so naturally inclined to being around cold, salty water that being put in hot, like um, regular water was just like, they were like not having it. So I think that's interesting that you brought that up about kind of those roots too. Mm-hmm. Um. So, moon water, moon water. I don't often make moon water, but when I do, I'm an absolute snob about it. I don't do none of this putting it in the windowsill on a cloudy night thing. Mm-mm. If I'm going to be making moon water, it is going to be on a clear night of the full moon. It is going into a silver dish, and I am putting it outside into in a place where I can see the moon reflected on the surface of the water, and then I am getting up and collecting it before the sun rises, and I keep it um, in a bottle that is wrapped in a cloth so that the light doesn't then touch it. Right. Britain right now. Yeah, y'all can't see this, but Jay's showing me a a bottle that 
he's got wrapped in cloth so the light mm. can't penetrate it wow i have like a blue scarf that that i wrap it in so and i know we're getting hate mail right now because people are like you can put it in the window on a cloudy day and it'll still work and, and yes absolutely i'm sure that that's still fine but for for my personal practice if, if i'm going to do it i like to go real hard um so 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 that's mm-hmm. how i go and do that so and i and again, it, it doesn't mean that anything is ruined if the sunlight touches it, you know, it just then it gen, then starts changing from moon water then to sun water and solar water is actually very useful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not ruined. It's just something different than what you originally sent out, you know, set out. Now, if I think that, you know, a, a little bit of dawn rays hitting it is going to obliterate it. No, absolutely not. But like, if you leave it, you, know, you forget about it and it's like four in the afternoon or whatever, like, and you go out to get it and it's been sitting out there all day, probably it's no longer moon water, but. Um, right. Especially if it gets a little warm, I would yeah. be like, eh, well, not moon water anymore. Yeah, exactly. That kind of coolness to it, I think mm-hmm. is important. That is the same approach that I take to making flower essences. When I make a flower essence, it's often with wildflowers. Mm-hmm. So I like go to the spot where the wildflowers are at and like I make the flower essence there with the oh. moon or the sun or the rising and setting of the sun or the moon. And um, I find that lends quite a bit of potency to the to the flower essences. Oh, I bet it would. That whole idea of spirit of place, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have just a couple more. Um, the last two do kind of go together. So this is one before those two is that to never throw your spell remains or offerings in the trash. Do you agree with this one? I throw my spell stuff in the trash sometimes. I do too. I right. mean, like, unless there's something that I need to go do with it, like hang it in a tree or put it in a graveyard or whatever. Like, right. Then I go and do that. But the idea that you're supposed to put all your spell remains either in a moving body of water, which don't do that. That's what we call pollution Mm -hmm. um, or burying it is absurd, especially with the amount of spell work that I do to go outside and bury it. Number one, I would have to have a space to do that. I don't actually have a yard right now, so I'd have to go to like a local park and start digging. Um, Yeah. No. And a lot of the things that I would have to be burying are not things that need to go into the ground. Like I I take, you know, pollution and stuff like that over, um, you know, the reverence for it. So I just I throw it in the trash. But again, like we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier, reverently throwing it in the trash, you know. Like, mm-hmm. thank you for your help. We're done now. Have a great day. And then putting it in the trash. Yeah. There's something that you've shared, and I've repeated this to so many folks, um, That and I love that you said this, uh, was like what to do with offerings after you have used them and they've been sat out on your altar for a while. Mm-hmm. Is uh, You were like, if you invite Aunt Bertha over for dinner, you don't take her leftovers and bury it in the backyard. That's just weird. That's creepy. <laughs> like, yeah. You throw it in the trash. <laughs> you throw it in the trash. Absolutely. Like they've eaten it. They're done with it. Uh, it doesn't need to, you know, go anywhere special. It can just be scraped off into the trash and it's completely fine. And, and that's for like food offerings and like beverage offerings and things like that. If you give them something like, a rosary or like some jewelry or whatever don't then take that and throw that in the trash because you wouldn't again give your aunt like a rosary and then like the next day go find it take it and throw it in the trash like i i always i always 
take it through that lens as if, if I was having a, a normal interaction with an actual, you know, living person, how would this go? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, when I work with lodestones, after I'm done working with them, I do often bury them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just the, the stone, which, you know, it's a stone. It's fine. Yeah, it's a rock. It's supposed to be in the ground. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I do bury I do bury my lodestones after I've worked with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, as opposed to something like, you know, paraffin wax or a bunch of glitter or, you know, whatever it is that you're using in your spell work, putting that into the ground, I'm not really into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, these last two kind of go together. And I'm curious to see what your what your thoughts are here. Um, so what we have here is never use blood in spells or do not do magic on your period. So, you know, if the spell calls for blood, then by all means, prick your finger. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a gesture of dedication. And um, like you were talking about earlier about snuffing out candles with your fingers, kind mm-hmm. of like it's, it's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a gesture of toughness. So I think if like the spell calls for it or you're working, perhaps you have a very intimate connection with a deity and blood is called for, you know, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here. But one thing that comes to mind is like when I go and I harvest rose, blood is always part of harvesting a rose Mm -hmm. because no matter what that and blackberry or anything in the rose in the rose family, not anything, but like hawthorn blackberry brambles and roses you know you're in there plucking the flowers and whatnot you're gonna get scratched and to me it's a part of the process Mm -hmm. it's a spell you're harvesting with intention it's for magic you're gonna have to offer up a little bit of blood there's a sacrifice involved so that's how i feel about that but willy-nilly just busting out some blood from your finger or whatever Mm. Mm, you know i would be careful with that Especially mm-hmm. when working with like spirits of the dead, I personally I wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely, that's, I agree with that. Yeah, that's just for me. But um, I fully support doing magic on your period if you're a person that menstruates. Mm-hmm. Like, have at it. I had a friend who um, she showed me all these beautiful paintings in her journal, and I was like, "What are you painting with?" She's like, "My period blood." Oh. <laughs> And it was really gorgeous. It made a like beautiful color. Um, and they were like, to me that, that it's imbued with magic, these paintings Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, but I absolutely think that you can do magic on your period. And as a matter of fact, um, it can be quite potent. There's a really great book by Peter Redgrove and Penelope Shuttle. It's Mm -hmm. somewhat of a rare book book but you might be able to find it if you're curious about menstrual magic it's called the wise wound Mm. um and it's it's a fantastic book um where they really wove in dreaming and witchcraft and animism into menstruation and whatnot Mm. so interesting but at the same time i know there are traditions where it is taboo to do work and magic on your period. So, you know, also respecting traditions. If you're part of a tradition where that's not allowed, you know, obviously respect the tradition. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, of course, yeah, definitely to always defer to your tradition in any of these subjects here that we're talking about today. 
Um, I think when it comes to using blood and spells, I, I agree. There are, there are times when it's appropriate and then there are times when it's not. Um, yeah, and definitely not just using it willy-nilly. Because we have to remember that blood as a substance is very hot. And when we have too much heat at our altar, um, eventually it's going to attract um, bad things or other hot things. So other hot things are going to be like um, like urine is going to be very hot. Blood is going to be very hot, things like that. So when we use these things just kind of willy-nilly all over the place, then our space heats up. Um, and then that's when we start to attract entities that are not very friendly versus if we have a very cool altar, which is very cleansed and very clean and things like that, that's going to um, invite in more, um, more, more positive sort of energies or entities to it. Um, we always have to remember that our altar and working spaces are portals. And depending on how hot or cool they are, they're going to be portaling in different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would never use blood in a spell unless it was necessary. Um, I only I only do that when something has to be done, and then then I'll then I'll get out the blood. But just to you know use it for like a prosperity spell or something like that, I definitely wouldn't. And I agree too with um, talking about not using it with spirits of the dead um, because that can be a very very slippery slope because they really like it, and then so people are like, oh great, they responded really well to this. So I'm going to give them more. And then it becomes like giving them crack, um, which ends up becoming an issue, especially when you go to stop giving them blood. Um, so it's, it's something that we want to, we want to use only when, you know, it's a, it's a necessary thing. Um, but as far as like land spirits, things like, you know, plants, things like rocks and whatnot, um, they very much do enjoy blood. And that doesn't tend to be, um, so much of an issue. Like if you're giving blood to a rose bush or to um, a boulder that you've asked a favor from or something like that. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Um, and I think that that's okay. Um, and then of course there's always a difference between like blood that you have like cut from your body and blood that was freely given from your body through something like menstruation. Um, those bloods are going to have different energies to them. And as mm-hmm. far as doing magic on your period, again, defer to your own tradition, but um this is a case by case basis. You know, if, if you're a person whose whose menstrual cycle is very easy and, and it's not, you know, a problem, absolutely continue doing magic. If your menstrual cycle, though, like knocks you on your ass, like feel free to take a break, like, you know, while you're doing it. I don't think it's anything bad will happen if you do magic while on your period. But if you're a person whose, whose cycle is really rough like that, I, you know, hang out on the couch for a minute, get a heating pad. You know, take care of yourself. You can cast that spell tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, eat some ice cream and drink some tea. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, these are our magical taboos. And we will see you next week. And don't forget. Do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.